like to better understand the Bible? How can you grow as a Christian and find personal peace? What happens at the second coming of Jesus? What is the relevance of Bible prophecy today? How do you identify a cult? What happens when you die? Here is your opportunity to find answers to these and many other questions by exploring 30 not only relevant, but life-changing topics that await your discovery. Welcome to Search for Certainty. I'm glad you could join us. I'm your host, Gail Fong, and with me in the studio today is Hannah Nakagawa. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Gail. Well, our study today is entitled From Disappointment to Triumph, a movement for today's world. Can we really be sure of truth? Does God have a true church on earth today? Is it possible to know which church is his true church? The book of Revelation is designed to give us certainty. It is designed to provide definite, concrete answers to these questions. Revelations chapter 10 is one of the most thrilling chapters in all the Bible. It vividly and accurately describes the miraculous rise of God's last day church. It reveals that God's last day movement is a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It distinguishes God's true church from all counterfeit movements by clearly showing just how God's church would come into existence. Well, we're going to be studying that today, Hannah, but before we begin, would you invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in our Bible study? Sure, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us the truth of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that we can study today. Father, I pray that as we open your scripture, please, Lord, pour your Holy Spirit upon us. And I pray that uh, we may um, yeah, study and search this truth in Revelation chapter 10. And please help us, Lord, uh, give us, um, you will give us understanding. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, certainty of the Advent movement. To begin our Bible study, we're going to go to the Gospel, to the book of John, John chapter 8 and verse 32. Can an individual really know what is truth? It says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So they're the words of Jesus. Yes. So Jesus says we can know the truth. Yes, that's right. And that truth will make us free. Well, that's very encouraging mm, to amen. start our Bible study with that verse. Well, some feel we can never be certain about anything. Yet what counsel does Luke give Theophilus regarding the purpose of the gospel? In the Gospel book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, It seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you know you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. Well, that's very powerful that you may know the certainty mm. of those things. 
in which you were instructed. The book of Revelation contains three specific chapters designed to give certainty regarding the identity of the true church. Revelation 14 clearly reveals that the true church will proclaim the message of the three angels. Revelation 12 describes the true church as leading men and women back to obedience to the commandments of God. Revelation 12 also describes the true church as having the gift of prophecy. Revelation 10 describes the historical rise of the true church. As each of these chapters is carefully studied, God's identity of his true church is clear. In Revelation, an angel descending from the presence of God represents a heavenly message of utmost importance for all inhabitants of planet Earth. What does this angel have in his hand? So we're going to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 2. Sure. It says, He had a little book open in his hand, and he sat his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So little book open, mm. Hannah. Yes. Now, which is the only Bible book ever said to be closed or sealed until the time of the end? We go to the Old Testament, yes. to the book of Daniel, mm. Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 and 9. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up that words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the walls are closed up and sealed till the end of the end. Mm. So more than once there in chapter 12, Hannah, yes. you've read that God tells Daniel, go your way for the words are closed up and sealed. Mm. But interesting, till the time of the end, mm. it will be open. What particular portion of Daniel's message does the angel of Revelation Emphasize going back to Revelation chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. It says, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no more. Well, the little book opened reveals that there should be delay no, no longer or no more. Mm. It clearly focuses on the time prophecies of Daniel. Since no one knows the day or hour of Christ's coming, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. The expression delay no longer cannot relate to a literal date for Christ's return. The two great end time prophetic Bible books are Daniel and Revelation. The prophecies of Revelation are unfolded in the book of Daniel. Now, what time prophecy in Daniel points to the time of the end 
We go to Daniel chapter 8, verses 14 and 17. The Bible says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. So Hannah, as we've studied in a previous lesson, a few studies back, the 2,300 prophetic days of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14 equal 2,300 literal years. The expression, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, refers to the opening of the judgment in the year 1844. Well, what prediction about the last days does Revelation make in Revelation 10 and verse 7? But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servant the prophets. So the mystery of God would be finished. When the little book of Daniel was eaten or studied, particularly the 2,300-year prophecy pointing to 1844, What experience would occur for those who studied these prophecies? Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through to 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it would make your stomach bitter, but it would be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I have eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Very interesting, sweet and bitter experience. It is, Hannah, so we have to look back in history Mm. because we're just going to unpack this section in a little detail now using some historical facts. Yes. When did this bittersweet experience occur? In the late 1700s and early 1800s, Independent of one another, scores of religious leaders around the world began a renewed study of the prophecies of Daniel. This interest in prophecy led honest-hearted men and women of God to abandon the popular belief that the world would soon enter a 1,000-year period of peace known as the Millennium. They saw that prophecy clearly taught that the destinies of all were decided before Christ's return. Consequently, they understood there is no second chance for salvation when Jesus comes. Overjoyed with prophecies that seemed to indicate the coming of Jesus, they went forth to warn the world. Among them were people such as Edward Irving and 700 preachers of the Church of England. 
Joseph Wolfe, missionary to India, Manuel Lacunza, a serious Bible student from South America, Johann Bengel of Germany, and many others. Foremost in the United States was William Miller. In a period of personal despair, he began to study the scriptures. There Miller found new hope and courage as an uplifted saviour was presented before him. Accepting Jesus as his personal saviour, he began to study the scriptures carefully. Dispensing with all Bible commentaries and using only his Bible and a concordance, Miller began at Genesis and studied the scriptures verse by verse, comparing scripture with scripture. As he studied the prophetic um, portions of Daniel, he arrived at the same conclusion as did a host of other serious Bible students. Independent of each other, they arrived at the conclusion that Jesus was coming and coming soon. As Miller studied the 2,300 years prophecy of Daniel chapter 8, he saw that it was explained in Daniel chapter 9. Amazed at the precision of Daniel 9 verse 24 to 27, he concluded that Daniel 8 verse 14 was just as accurate. When he discovered, according to Daniel 9 verse 24 to 27, that Jesus was to be baptized in AD 27 and crucified in AD 31, that the gospel was to go to the Gentiles in AD 34, and that these events had been fulfilled exactly on time, he marveled. He reasoned that since these events had been fulfilled, and since Daniel 9 is an explanation of Daniel 8, both prophecies start at the same time. Since Daniel 8 begins at the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in 457 BC, Daniel 9 begins there also, figuring 2,300 years from 457 BC, Miller arrived at the date of AD 1844. Misunderstanding the subject of the sanctuary, he understood the words, Then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, to refer to the cleansing of the earth by fire. He thought Christ would return in 1844. The preaching of a specific date for Christ's return sparked one of the greatest religious revivals in American history, Thousands were converted. Church bells throughout America tolled for noon prayer meetings. In anticipation of the coming of the Lord, debts were paid, family differences settled, and saloons closed. The moving of the Spirit of God led to deep repentance for sin, earnest prayer, and serious Bible study. As multitudes anticipated the arrival of Jesus, they settled on the day, October 22, 1844. As Revelation 10 predicted, a study of Daniel's prophecy was sweet in the mouth. Yet, when Jesus did not return, it was bitter. Verse 10. Their bitter disappointment of 1844 left them downhearted and discouraged. 
As they rechecked the prophetic evidence, they realized that the date was right. The hour of their disappointment was the hour of God's appointment. The sanctuary to be cleansed was not the earth, but rather the heavenly sanctuary. The prediction, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, referred to Christ's work of judgment preliminary to his return to earth. Wow, Hannah. So what work does the prophet Daniel describe the father and son participating in before Jesus returns? We are going to read from the Old Testament prophetic book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through to 11. It says, I watched till throne were put in place, and the Ancient of Days were seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its will a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. I watched them because of the sound of the uh, pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So the heavenly judgment, Hannah, deals with the final solution to the sin problem. As the heavenly record books are opened, God's mercy and justice, his love and law are seen in his dealing with every human being. Just as the early disciples anticipated Christ setting up an earthly kingdom in AD 31 and were bitterly disappointed at his crucifixion, his last day followers anticipated his coming to earth in 1844 and were bitterly disappointed. Mm. Notice these striking similar parallels. The New Testament church Point number one, they were students of prophecy. Last day church, students of prophecy. Point number two for the New Testament church, they believed Christ would set up an earthly kingdom. Last day church, point two, believed Christ would set up an earthly kingdom. Point number three for the New Testament church, they were bitterly disappointed. Last day church, bitterly disappointed. Point number four for the New Testament church, directed attention to ministry of Christ in the sanctuary. Last day church, directed attention to ministry of Christ in sanctuary. Point number five for the New Testament church, they preached the message of Christ's ministry to the world. Last day church, they preached message of Christ's ministry to the world. Wow, Hannah, that's a massive lot of parallels yes. there. <laughs> According to scripture, this disappointed group would be molded into Christ's last day church to carry his message to the world. Mm. 
What was the key that unlocked their disappointment? Revelation chapter 11, verse 18 and 19. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then... The temple of God was open in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightning, noises, thundering, and earthquake, and great hail. These disappointed followers sensed that the temple of God was opened in heaven. Jesus had begun a special work in the heavenly sanctuary, preliminary to his return to earth. So Hannah Reading on in verse 19, what did they see when the temple of heaven was opened? Yes, they saw the ark of his covenant. Amen. Mm. So the ark of the covenant or testimony, as it was sometimes called, is another name for describing the ark of God placed in the most holy place of the earthly sanctuary. Hannah, what is contained in the Ark of the Covenant? We go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 1 through to 5 in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 1 through to 5. Yes, it says, At the time the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain, and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the walls that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you in a mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly and the Lord gave them to me then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made and there they are just as the Lord commanded me so the ten commandments Hannah these advent believers understood for the first time that we are living in the judgment hour they sensed God's call to obedience. The Ark of the Covenant in heaven's sanctuary revealed God's law. The law that Jesus died to preserve would be enshrined in the hearts of his followers through grace. They would give his final call to love and obey him to the entire planet. We have some beautiful verses in the scripture, Hannah, regarding God's truth. And I think this would be a great time for us to have a look at them. Sure. And the first one, Hannah, if you'd read for us, is found in John chapter 4 and verse 24. Yes, um, here Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we want to worship him in truth. That's truth right. matters to God because yes. God is a truthful God. Mm. And all of God's words are true and faithful. Yes. What about in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua? Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. 
Sure. The Bible says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and Egypt. Serve the Lord. So God calls us to serve him in truth. Yes. Hannah, what about Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23? Yes. It says, But the truth and do not sell it, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. God calls us to value and esteem truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hannah, what about Philippians 4 verse 8? Yes. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Powerful verse from Paul. Yes. So God calls us to meditate upon truth. Yes. Hannah, going back to the Gospel book of John, John chapter 17 and verse 17. Yes. You'd read that verse for us. Sure. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we can only be sanctified by God's truth. Yes, that's right. And that is his word. So he sets us apart Mm. for holiness by following his word. Mm. Hannah, what about 1 Peter Chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So God calls us to be purified Mm. by truth. Yes. Truth is really powerful. Mm. What about Psalm 51? And verse 6, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So God calls us to desire truth. Yes. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 in the New Testament. What else does God call us to do? And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So here God calls us to love truth. Mm. It's very important because it will protect us from delusion, Mm. from deception, when we love God and love his word. Mm. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2? Yes. It says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, no walking in craftiness, no handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So God calls us to manifest truth in our lives, to live truth. To live in harmony with God Mm. and his word. What about 1 Corinthians 13, 6? 
it says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Truth calls for rejoicing. Yes. And I think that's the hunger of every person. We want to know what is truth. Mm. You know, I was thinking, if I was um, facing a, a, a very serious illness and the doctor knew and my family knew, but they thought they would keep it from me, I would not be really comfortable with that. Mm. I would want to know what is the truth of my condition yes. so that I could prepare myself mm. and that I would be able to accept whatever the outcome was. And God also has a truth. That's right. And he shares it with us because he loves us. Yes. Such powerful verses, Hannah, all through the scriptures mm. on the truth about God. Well, Hannah, what command did Jesus give the disappointed group of Advent believers in Revelation 10, verse 11? It says, And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many people, nations, tongues, and kings. And then Revelation 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. They needed to prophesy again. That's right. Share again. Mm. Their work was not finished. That's right. Not only one or two countries, it's all over the world, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Amen. Following the disappointment in 1844, Jesus raised up a dynamic divine movement on earth, a movement that ultimately would span the globe. It would proclaim that Jesus is coming again and urge men and women to surrender their lives to him and respond in loving obedience. It is indeed thrilling to sense that God has such a divine movement of destiny in the last days of earth's history. This unique prophetic movement has been especially raised up by God to prepare a world for his soon return. Today, in more than 200 nations of the world, in every major language, the message of God's love and truth is being proclaimed in the Advent movement. God has especially raised up the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a powerful last-day prophetic movement to impact the world. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is not just another denomination. It is a God-ordained, divinely called prophetic movement for these last days. We, we could make a decision on God's word that is so truthful. I believe that Jesus has raised up a movement in the last days of earth's history to lead men and women to Christ, to prepare them for his coming, and to lead them to obedience to his law. I pray that our listeners, that you will be meditating on these words of scripture today and that what the Holy Spirit brings home to your heart will lead you into a deeper understanding of truth. Shall we pray together? Sure. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God of truth, mm -hmm. that your word is true and faithful, and that the conviction of the Holy Spirit works upon our hearts and minds to guide us into all truth. 
as we have studied today this amazing prophecy in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 10, that bittersweet experience given to those who were seeking you in the, in the 19th century. Today, Heavenly Father, as we seek you with all our heart, we pray that the Holy Spirit may guide us as we study together the three angel message, this everlasting gospel that is going to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. We thank you for the present truth of this time. We thank you that we can trust your word. And I pray, Lord, for every person listening, that you would lead them into your body, which is sharing the truth for these last days. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I really enjoyed our study, Hannah, together. Yes. It's been very ins- very insightful. Hmm. We hope that you will come back and join us again. But till next time, God bless you and go in peace. questions or comments about any of the programs you've heard, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
Academy singing, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And coming up next, Marlita Fong will sing, Learning to Lean.
Enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In the vicinity of Washington, New Hampshire, there were two other men along with Frederick Wheeler who were instrumental in the history of the Sabbath, T.M. Preble and Cyrus Farnsworth. T.M. Preble wrote a tract entitled Tract, showing that the seventh day should be observed as a Sabbath. This track was very influential, for it found its way to Parrot Hill, Maine, and also to the home of Joseph Bates. Bates read it and was convinced of it, but wanted to investigate further. Joseph Bates heard about a group of Sabbath keepers in Washington, New Hampshire, and before making any major changes, he decided to visit. He traveled by train and stagecoach to the town of Hillsborough, where Frederick Wheeler lived. Despite arriving at 10 p.m., he was invited in and said that he wanted to look at every argument in the Bible in favor of the Sabbath. That night, the two men studied together and talked until the morning. Joseph Bates took notes, and in the morning, they both knelt to pray and committed their lives to preaching on the Sabbath truth. The next day, the two men traveled 12 miles to the home of Cyrus Farnsworth. There on a warm day in the front garden under the maple trees, Frederick Wheeler and Cyrus Farnsworth continued Joseph Bates' crash course on the Sabbath. Along with T.M. Preble's tract on the Sabbath, Bates was now fully convinced. He bade his farewells and started his three-day journey home with a lot to think about. Arriving back in Fairhaven, he was walking home from the train depot when he met his neighbor, James Madison Monroe Hall, as he was crossing the bridge from New Bedford to Fairhaven. Bates was greeted with the question, what's the news, Captain Bates? To which he responded, the news is that the seventh day is the Sabbath. After a short conversation, Bates arranged to meet with Mr. Hall and the other Advent believers to study this subject out. By the next Sabbath, Mr. Hall was a Sabbath keeper and his wife the week after. Bates would be instrumental in the adoption of the Sabbath by the disappointed Adventist. He had a special burden to teach on this subject and the tracts he wrote would be instrumental in convincing many people, in particular, James and Ellen White. Joseph Bates was at home writing when his wife came in and said she needed some more flour to finish the baking. He went down to the shop and used all the last money that he had to buy four pounds of flour. His wife Prudence was very upset. Firstly, that he had used all the money that they had, and secondly, that he only had enough to buy four pounds of flour. She asked him what he was going to do. 
To which he responded, he was going to write a book on the Sabbath and spread it to the world. About half an hour later, he was impressed to go to the post office and when he arrived, there was a letter for him. He didn't have enough money to even pay for the postage, but asked the postmaster if he would open it. When he did, he found there was a $10 bill inside and he used this money to buy a more generous supply of groceries and also to arrange for the printing of his next tract. Within a few years, this truth on the Sabbath would grow remarkably. In 1848, there were six major conferences on the Sabbath with Bates presenting at most of them. After the great disappointment of 1844 and the scattering that the various winds of doctrine would cause after this, God was using this truth to gather his people around. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says that the path of the just is as a shining light that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. God was slowly leading his people back to a full understanding of his word. May we follow God as he leads us day by day and step by step. To view more episodes in this series, visit lineagejourney.com. to welcome you to Healthy Living Around the World. I am on site at Centre for Health in Bulgaria and today my guest is Emilia Nedeva. Welcome Emilia to the program. Thank you so much Casey. Now Emilia, you are a worker here at Centre for Health. Can you share with us a little bit about how you came to work here? Uh, before five years ago um, I came as a student in this place and um, there was a training for medical missionaries mm -hmm. and I spent six months here. We were trained how to do massages, hydrotherapy, uh, how to organize health um, clubs and cooking classes. and. Um, after that, I went to the university and um, I traveled a lot. But uh, recently, they called me um, that they need stuff here. And uh, I said, okay, I'm free and I can come and I can help. And um, I'm happy that I can serve in my country. Yeah, okay, so you're from Bulgaria. Yes, I'm from Bulgaria. Ah, that's good. It's always nice to have opportunities True. in your own country where you can do mission service um, in helping people. Okay, so how long have you been here now in this, this stint? Three months. Three months, okay. And what are the kind of things you're doing? Um, I have been working in the therapy. Okay. As a physical therapist. Usually we have uh, some baths, sauna that we have to prepare for the patients, um, massages that we do, mm -hmm. that we give, also juices, teas. Okay, so a bit of a variety of things yes. for, the, for the health guests. Yes, oh. gymnastics in the morning, oh. in the afternoon. Wow, 
getting stretching and getting active. Yes. That's good. That's <laughs> Obviously, it's a, it would seem natural for someone working in a lifestyle center to also be living a healthy lifestyle, or at least having some healthy lifestyle principles and in place in their life. How did you come to appreciate healthy living for yourself? Uh, from uh, small when I was in the high school mm-hmm. I didn't know so much as I know now about the health principles but I used to uh, take um, to school every day an apple and a bottle of water <laughs> okay yes so I was doing the things that uh, later I learned that they're very important for our yes. health without knowing it was just naturally and also when we had some breaks mm-hmm. um, I would open the window of the classroom so that fresh air can ah, enter ah, yes okay and you just naturally wanted to do that right so you've got your your water there your fresh air and your, your healthy food <laughs> yes. coming through there with the apple that's good so even from a young age you've had that and I was doing some sport activity okay very good so what then would be one of your favorite healthy living principles yeah I always have my butter with me okay so I love drinking a lot of water I cannot live without water okay yes I can live without food but not without water ah I love also to do exercise and to travel it's part of the exercise yes okay so what kind of exercise in particular do you enjoy um yeah stretching morning exercise just to give you this inspiration to start your day Mm -hmm. very good and obviously you like helping others do that here in your work because you're involved in the gymnastics and doing all the different things that's excellent now another question for you how has living a healthy lifestyle had an impact on your spiritual life or your walk with God have you noticed anything over the years Mm. well I for example um, if I go to bed early I can get up earlier and have more personal time with God so this is something that I'm trying still to improve yes <laughs> to go to uh, to bed on time ah so is going to bed early a health principle like what health benefits would there be for going to bed early yes it's it's a health principle mm-hmm and uh, this health principle is one of the best if you follow you feel like an angel after that oh really (laughs) you wake up feeling that good (laughs) it's always good to wake up feeling that fresh yeah Mm -hmm. and you're saying that if you do that your time with god is yes your spiritual life is um going perfectly Mm. Mm -hmm. and you have time to organize your thoughts for the day okay and to see the plan for the day Uh, another thing that helps me to improve uh, my spiritual life connected with the health principles is that when um, I decide to fast and uh, I notice that when I fast 
my brain is much more focused mm-hmm. on the more important things in life. And that helps me to take better decisions. And not just better decisions, but the right decisions. Yes, okay. In the right time. So what do you do normally when you fast? Um, usually when I fast, um, I, I don't work so much. Mm-hmm. So that I can, this time can be concentrated on the decision that I have to take. And I will drink water. Maybe or tea or even some fruits. Sometimes I will not eat nothing. Okay, even sometimes you have not water. All right, sometimes yeah. you do complete. Fast. It depends uh, how important is the thing that I'm fasting okay. for. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you do this fairly often when you have to make an important decision. Mm-hmm. Not very often, but when this time comes. It just cannot go without fasting because it's something that bothers you and yes. if you care, you will fast. If you don't care, you will just go with it. Okay, <laughs> right. Mm, interesting. So that action of fasting has a big impact on your mental powers to be able to think clearly and make a decision. True. How about then... If you were going to talk to someone, I mean, you meet lots of people in the lifestyle center here who are obviously come to change their lifestyle or make improvements. What would you say to someone who's wanting to make changes in their lifestyle, who's thinking about that and what they need to do? What would you say to them as some advice for them going forward that you've sort of learned in your experience? I would advise them that um, it's not only to follow these health principles, like Mm -hmm. just follow sunshine and water and healthy uh, food, exercise and all this stuff, but also to uh, realize that all these principles, they're coming from a source, from one source. They can realize that this source is, is God, and if God sometimes he don't decide to to heal them from with natural remedies, let's say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's God that is not deciding. It's not the that the natural remedies are not working, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I want to say is that trusting in God it's also another health principle. Ah, uh, I see. Yes. And many times we forget this principle. Yeah. Even, even Christians, they just, um, they have so many worries and problems. Yes. And are so stressed from the work they have. And they just work, work, work. And it's so sad. They, they forget about that they have the, their Heavenly Father. And He would take care of every detail, every little problem in their lives. So... My advice is to be brave and to give all your worries to God and to have even a little bit faith. Yes. But to be there, (laughs) this faith. Yes, yes. Because it will grow with the time, like a little seed. Uh Aha, right, (laughs) very good. Okay. I think that's very encouraging for people to, to know that there's a Heavenly Father who cares about them. Yeah. 
even as you say, even when things don't go so well, the knowledge that God in heaven still does care. Especially nowadays, because today we are living in a very dangerous time. Mm. Everything is falling apart around us. Crisis everywhere. Yes. When there's someone to hold on to, that can help us through, hey? True. Ah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's quite a, a significant insight to share in connection with health and making changes that is important for people. So that's that's my experience. <laughs> okay, yes, you've, you've had that um, in your Yeah, experience. that's what I observed and it's also advice for myself. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I work so much and I also don't have this personal time and um, it's not good. It's like you're losing the, the purpose, the aim mm. of everything, the sense of your life. And you become like a robot. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you for your, your insights. I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed hearing your perspectives. Our guest today has been Emilia Nedova. She is Bulgarian and she's working here in Bulgaria in, in the Center for Health Lifestyle Center here. And we've been recording on site. This is Healthy Living Around the World and I'm your host, Casey Butler. Until next time, God bless you richly. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.